In the pages of the New Testament, the four Gospels themselves really comprise a pretty big chunk of what we have. And that should, for each and every one of us, make sense, right? Because in those four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we have the story of Jesus, who he is, what he was all about, things that he did, the people that he interacted with, things that he said, the things that he taught, all of the things contained. And so for us today, we'll often make the point, and rightly so, that Christ is the one that we are to emulate. He is the one that we are to follow his steps, his example. And so what God has done is he has given us as full of a picture as we can handle of Jesus. But it is a lot. How many things are there contained in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that we can gain or learn from Jesus? How many principles? How many lessons? How how many bits of teaching? Hundreds? Thousands maybe as you comb through the pages of those books. Travis read for us there at the end of the Gospel of John. John himself even makes the point. I have contained the things that I have contained in my gospel, as John writes, so that you can read those things and you can learn about Jesus and you can believe he is who he said that he was. But he closes with the idea that there are so many more things that I could have contained here that I could have written about, other things that he did, other things that he said, so many other things. But yet for us On a day like this, for us, today as we open our Bible, sometimes we read a passage like that and we may think more, more than what we have, we already have so much. The temptation then is to be overwhelmed by that. That there is so much there about what Jesus is all about. How then are we even able to follow all that we have? When we begin to think that way, and not just here in the pages of the four Gospels, but even in God's book as a whole, when we begin to think about the overwhelming nature of it, we conjure up in our mind the overcomplicated nature of it, And the temptation then is just to close it and to convince ourselves that I'm just not equipped to gain. I'm just not equipped to get all that God wants me to have. It's just too much or it is just too complicated. And this morning, I want us to understand and to see that although there are hundreds of small little things that we can pull from Jesus, The lessons given to us about who he is and about what he said, given to us by God, are much more simple to get than we often think. I want to share with you an example of that this morning for a few moments. 
And the example is going to come from the pages of the Gospel of Luke, specifically chapter 17. And this morning, we're going to spend the rest of our time in Luke chapter 17. And what is going to happen, as I believe, is you have given to us, a lot of times, from especially in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we, we reference them as the synoptic Gospels. We, we, ref, we pool them together a little bit more. John is an outlier for several different reasons. But a lot of times, even though they are loosely chronological, such as it's beginning with the birth of Jesus and telling us the story of Jesus, ending with his death and burial, resurrection, ascension, oftentimes we do get lessons and things grouped together in certain places. And I think there's a good example in Luke chapter 17 of, a, of an opportunity where God gives us something to consider, but much more simple than we often give him credit for. What we're going to see is in Luke chapter 17, I believe there are four essentials, principles, for each and every one of us this morning that we have to grab hold of, but... Four things that each and every one of us this morning can grab hold of. Set your mind in a simple way this morning. Convince yourself that what God wants me to see is there. Don't overcomplicate your thinking. But as we read it together, you look for the lesson. What's the point? And I promise you this morning you'll be able to find it. So let's start. Christian essentials given to us in Luke chapter 17. Simple things that God wants us to be thinking about. The first, Luke 17, 1 through 6. Let's read it together. Look for the principle. Then he said to his disciples, this is Luke 17 verse 1, It is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. And the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And so the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Now, you have here in Luke chapter 17, verses 1 through 6, several things that we could dive into, several things that we could dig up, several things that we could spend some time talking about. We could this morning spend the entirety of our time digging through Luke 17, 1 through 6, but this morning, we are staying on the surface. Christian essential, what's God want us to take? What he wants us to take is that his people will be a people who forgives. Now, I want you to think about our human tendency. What is our human tendency? 
Our human tendency is to take that hurt and to feel it and to feel it deeply within ourselves. We'd love to hold on to and then nurse grudges. We love to talk to other people, people not involved in the offense at all. We love to dwell on that. But what's the picture that Jesus paints here? I want you to understand here in Luke chapter 17 is that Jesus is not painting a picture where he says, forgive, but that his people will be in the habit of forgiving. How do we know that? Well, think about what he says about this seven times. If a brother comes to you and seven times in a day has offended you but comes seeking forgiveness, Jesus says you forgive him. In Matthew chapter 18, he will multiply that literally to 70 times seven. And the point that that brings is that when it comes to forgiveness, especially for God's people, the essential principle is that as God's people, he wants us ready to forgive. That the decision has been made beforehand. That I'm not dwelling in the emotion, that I'm not dwelling on the hurt, that God wants me ready to forgive, to be in the habit of forgiving, that the decision has been made that when there is an offense, I will forgive. And if there is another offense, I will forgive. And if there is another offense, I will forgive. And if there is another offense, I will forgive. And if there is another offense, I will forgive. And if there is another offense, I will forgive. And if all of those offenses... As you begin to think, how many is he going to say? I thought originally seven, but I lost count, so I just stopped. But even if all of those offenses happen in a single day, my mindset is if there is an offense, I will forgive. Easy or difficult? It's difficult. The teaching is easy. The principle is not complicated to grab hold of, but it can be difficult. Now, there's no doubt that love plays a role in forgiving others. There's no doubt about that. The care that we have for people, whether it be our brothers and sisters, whether it be someone in the world, certainly love plays a role in forgiving others. But what I see here in Luke chapter 17, it is our faith that is key. You see, they hear this difficult teaching, the apostles do, from Jesus. And what do they do? Lord, increase our love. Lord, increase our capacity to take. Lord, thicken my skin. Lord, increase my faith. Increase my faith. So what's the significance of that? Well, the reason that they do that is it takes active and living faith for these types of instructions to be followed. So you had this little picture even of the mustard seed. It conveys the idea of what? Life and growth. And so it becomes if our faith is living, if our faith is growing, it will enable us to keep these kinds of commands. 
And so principle number one, not complicated, not hard. What does Jesus want? He wants his people to forgive. Essential number two, Luke 17, 7 through 10. Look for it. And which of you, having a servant plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat. But will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper and Gird yourself and serve me till I've eaten and drunk, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise, you, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. And so again, for us, so many things, that we could talk about specifically in these verses, but we're looking for big picture essentials. And there was a great segue at the very end, verse 6 specifically, that kind of helps us to see the big picture essential here from 7 to 10 is the importance of faithfulness. Because faith that does not result in faithfulness does us nothing. Faith that does not result in faithful living does us nothing. Now, I want you to understand what we've read so far. It is a tremendous thing. It's great to have faith in order to do the difficult, right? Forgiving others, that's the difficult thing. That's what was just talked about. The apostles hear that teaching, and they say, Lord, that's difficult. Increase our faith. So we've got to have faith. In order to do the difficult, Jesus adds on to that, even the faith to do the impossible. You say to this plant, be uprooted and be planted into the sea and it will be done. That's the power of our faith. That's the importance of our faith. That that we've got to have it in in order to do the difficult. That we can have it in even to do the impossible. But what we lose sight of often is the importance of our faith even to do the routine, the day-to-day. You know, it's easy to understand the importance of faith when we are up against a difficult task or an impossible, seemingly impossible thing that we ask of God. What about our faith to do the routine? Our faith to do the day-to-day? Man, we've got to have that too. We've got to have a faith that is active all the time. The story that Jesus tells specifically here in this text emphasizes faithfulness to duty no matter what the demands may be. You see, this servant is faithful to his master who is not and does not reward or even thank him. We think about that reality. How much more we ought to be faithful to Christ who has promised us incredible reward. You see, here is a servant who is faithful to his master with no promise of reward, no thanking, no gratitude given. So what about us and our faithfulness to Christ who has promised everything? 
You see, one thing that this passage teaches us, that as servants of God's faithfulness, we've got to be careful to stay away from the extremes. Number one, serving him only because we feel like we have to. Maybe you're here this morning, and your motivation is, I have to be here. I'm obligated to be here. I am expected to be here. Now, there is a command given to us by God to worship together, a command given to us by God to sing together, to partake of the Lord's Supper. All of those things are commanded by God for sure. What's going on in the heart that says, I'm just here because I have to be here? That's me every single time I cut the grass. There's not one time ever in the history of the times that I have cut the grass as a child being forced by my father or as a father when my own children are not around. If they're around, they cut the grass. But if they're not, I've got to cut the grass. There has not been one time that afterwards I came in and said, you know what, I really enjoyed that. Not one time. But I have to do it. That's one extreme. The other is the one who serves only to get something. I will serve because of what is coming on the back end. But what do we get from God? What does he want? Service from the heart, out of love. That's why he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And so the thought that I want you to place into your head is that serving serving God faithfully is not my duty, it is my delight. And there's a catchphrase for you this week. Serving God, do you feel it is your duty or do you feel it is your delight? And if you can dig deep enough into your heart this week to answer that question, it will be a profitable conversation with yourself. Serving God, your duty or your delight. Thirdly, Luke 17 now verses 11 through 19. Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And so when he saw them, he said to them, go, Show yourselves to the priest. And and so it was, as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God, fell down on his face, his feet giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And so Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the dying? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, arise, go your way, your faith has made you well. Again, a lot of things going on with this story, lots of pieces to unravel. But again, big picture, what is the essential? What is the lesson? What is the essential principle that God is trying to get us to see, to get us to think about? It is the importance of thankfulness. You see, when Jesus tells the men to go and show themselves to the priest, Them turning and going was an act of faith. When they turned to obey, they were healed. Their obedience, turning and going, was evidence of their faith. 
the expectation that Jesus had, and for all of us who was reading the story, especially if you've not read the story before, the expectation is not one, but all ten men would return and be thankful. I mean, leprosy was a devastating disease. It had impact on every outlook of your life, every aspect of your life. And to be healed of that, how life-altering that would have been. And so our mindset is, surely all ten return, but no, just one return. But before we act too harshly on those nine, let's think about the lesson that God wants us to be thinking about or the question that God wants us to be thinking about. I think the question is, how often do we take our blessings for granted? And failed to thank the Lord. Count your many blessings. Name them one by one, we often sing. Maybe that would be a great exercise for us. To count those blessings, to name them one by one, to list them out on a a sheet of paper that would then turn into a binder of paper. We are blessed so incredibly by God. Spiritually, physically, emotionally, materially. How often do we take those blessings for granted? And how often are we one of the nine? Reveling in our goodness, but fail to be thankful. You see, what's interesting is that when we think about thankfulness, the reality becomes an unthankful heart, if that's what we want to have, is simply a fertile soil for sin. So many types of sin. And so we need to be careful. Forgiveness, faithfulness. I tried so hard to come up with another F, but it wasn't there Thankfulness, forgiveness, faithfulness, thankfulness, and the final piece, and then we'll be done this morning. Luke chapter 17, beginning in verse 20, what many people say is a difficult passage. But let us allow the simplicity of the teaching to hit home. What is the principle that God wants us to be thinking about? Let's close by reading it together. Verse 20, beginning. Now, when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God does not come with observation. Nor will they say, See here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. And then he said to the disciples, The days will come when you desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say, Do you look here and look there? Do not go after them or follow them. For as the lightning that flashes out of one part under heaven shines to the other part under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it was, also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. 
Even so it would be in that day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day, he who is on the housetop and his goods are in the house, let him not come down to take them away. And likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life will preserve it, I tell you. And that night there will be two men in one bed, the one who will be taken and the other will be left. Two women will be grinding together, the one will be taken and the other left. Two men will be in the field, the one will be taken and the other left. And they answered and said to him, where, Lord? And he said, wherever the body is, there the eagles will be gathered together. Now we read a passage like this in Luke chapter 17, and the, the easy thing for us to say is, I mean, that seems complicated. Seems comp- there's a lot going on there. There is. There is a lot going on there. You're talking about being able to spend all of our time in one passage. We could have done it right here in Luke chapter 17. And we could have dug through and we could have had the discussion and, and talked about what's this event that's being talked about. Is it the final judgment? Is it another specific judgment that's coming? We could have had all those discussions about what Jesus is talking about. But sometimes we overcomplicate things so much we miss essential principles that are there that everybody can grab hold of. And the essential principle that is there in Luke chapter 17 that simply cannot be missed is the importance of preparedness. Now it doesn't make a difference what other side you come down on. That principle is there, and it has to be grabbed hold of by God's people. Judgment is going to be sent by God. It is coming, so there must be readiness. Think about the points that he made. Noah, the people of the world during the flood, the people at the time of Lot, when Sodom was destroyed. The heavy-handed point towards here is the importance for God's people to be prepared. For what? For everything. Well, we are a people that will be prepared. Are we needing to be prepared for the final judgment? Yes. Are we needing to be prepared for Christ's second coming? Yes. Do we need to be prepared for temptation? Yes. We need to be prepared. We need to be a people who is prepared. That means we are a people who are focused. People who are ready. We need to be prepared to forgive what we started in Luke chapter 17. And so here's the final point this morning, and then we're done. Sometimes we'll pull a passage like this in Luke chapter 17, and we read it and we think, man, I'm just, I'm not smart enough. I'm just simply not smart enough to grab stuff out of Luke 17. I'll just, I'll just move on. Maybe something in Luke 18 will be there for me. Here's your encouragement this morning. Don't do that. Don't study the Bible that way. Don't read God's word that way. God did not design the Bible to be so complicated that we can't grab hold of it and we convince ourselves of that. We've made the point, are there depth of teaching, yes. Are there things that are contained that uh, we need to discuss and we need to talk about? Sure. Are there deeper points and applications and principles? Sure there are. But God in his love and in his wisdom has given us a book that we can take and that we can grow from. We can read even a chapter like this, and we can understand when it comes to being one of his disciples, essentials to that 
forgiveness, faithfulness, thankfulness, preparedness. Four things for us this week from our study this morning to be thinking about. And if we take these four things and we meditate upon them this week, what a powerful study of God's Word we had together this morning. Maybe you take one of those four or two of those four and meditate upon them this week. What a powerful piece of study that we've had from God's Word. There's a lot there for sure. But God wants us to be a people who is prepared, who love him, who forgive, who's faithful, who's thankful. That's what he wants, ultimately our heart. And Mark is going to lead us in a song of invitation, and it gives us an opportunity to think about those things. We can absolutely be thinking about, am I prepared? Am I ready? Am I ready for Christ to return? As he says in, in the book that God has given us over and over and over an opportunity that, yes, we'll be here, but at a time that we don't know when it'll be. Maybe today. If that's the case, am I ready? Well, we have an opportunity right now as we sing this song together to be thinking about that. And if your answer is, I'm not ready, let's do something about that today. Maybe that's being baptized into Christ, having your sins washed away. Maybe that's going to God, seeking his forgiveness through confession and repentance. And maybe that's other conversations that need to be had or questions. Let's have those today. And maybe we can help you. If we can, you let us know as we stand.